Children's Church. Oh, there I am. Sorry. Good. So if you're ages two to six, you can head downstairs with John and Jessica, and you'll be playing some games and uh, doing a Bible story and having a good time. Awesome. All right, I have the privilege to introduce you to Harold and Wendy Park. They're from Forever Families of Canada. They're going to speak in to us today. They are the founders and executive directors there. And a little bit of background, I know Wendy from Altona. We both grew up there, and uh, her dad was pastor at Altona EMMC, the church I grew up in. And I've gotten to know them and their ministry a bit through the Belong Summit uh, which I've been to a few times, and I'm very excited uh, for what they have to share this morning. Um, so why don't you come on up? I'm going to let them introduce their family, and uh, I just want to pray for you for a quick second here. God, thank you so much uh, for your grace and that you brought um, Harold and Wendy here safely this morning. I pray uh, that your Holy Spirit would speak through them and uh, that you would move in the hearts of your people this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, really great to be out here. Just uh, very thankful that I could be a part of this service, and I've been blessed uh, already through this. I just want to give a little bit of background. Yes, we are from Forever Families of Canada, based in Winnipeg, and we are national. But just to give you a bit of background on myself, I was born in Seoul, South Korea, and our family came out to Vancouver when I was five. And uh, when I was living in Vancouver, you know, I had no idea about what a Mennonite was. Like, it was a totally <laughs> foreign word to me. Uh, but then God called me into um, studies at Providence. Uh, I wanted to really make a difference uh, for the kingdom related to helping those that um, are vulnerable. And so um, I was in the counseling psychology program in seminary, and this is where I met Wendy. And so from there, I, I began to know what it is uh, about being a Mennonite, and I got to eat Mennonite foods, and most importantly, I learned these uh, very important Mennonite words, Voshtemi Bafrian, <laughs> which, of course, means, will you marry me? And uh, so we got married 2004, and uh, it's been quite a, a journey, uh, journeying with uh, Wendy, journeying with God, and all the things that he's brought into our lives. I just want to share a little bit about uh, the blessings um, that we have from God. We um, have our two biological kids in the front, Michaela and Kaylin. They're uh, eight and ten. And then on my side there is Katie. Katie, uh, she was in the foster care system in Winnipeg, and uh, we brought her into our home through adoption uh, about three years ago. Uh, on Wendy's side is Issa Nino, and she's someone that we met in our community, and she was going through some challenges. And so we invited her into our home and she lived with us for a year and a half, and we keep in touch with her, and we consider her our daughter as well, but not legally, but uh, we do consider her family as well. Just want to share a little bit about our ministry and what we do. Uh, our heart is for the vulnerable children and families that are in our society. Uh, but when we think about that, we also want to be very mindful of the church because we also have a passion for the church, to be able to connect with those vulnerable children and families. And so what do we do? We do three main things, connecting, equipping, and mobilizing. So first of all, connecting, we really want to not just be isolated. There are many issues out there in child welfare, and we don't want to isolate ourselves in trying to think that we have to figure everything out. We want to connect churches to churches, 
churches to other organizations, other ministries. Uh, there are many groups out there that are involved in child welfare, and we need to be a part of the, the bigger picture where we can see our peace in that. Uh, also, equipping. We want to be able to equip those that uh, are involved with child welfare, whether it be foster or adoptive parents or those in the church community wanting to know how do we get involved in making an impact uh, with these children and with these, uh, these families. And so we want to be able to help people understand theologically what is our role theologically uh, with vulnerable children, vulnerable families. We want to be able to equip in terms of trauma-informed care. Kids that have gone through trauma, uh, their brain has been impacted and it affects their body, their behavior. And so how do we deal with children who are going through these difficulties? So we want to be able to help people who are in that journey. And finally, we want to mobilize. We want to help people get out there. We don't want people just to take in information, but we want to be able to help people really get out and be able to do things uh, in our community for the kingdom. Um, there's a lot more uh, with these areas that I, uh, I just glanced over, but if you wanted to follow what we're doing, what we're about, uh, we have a website for families.ca. Uh, we're on Facebook, and you could always uh, email us. Our email is available through our, uh, our website. So I'm going to pass it on to Wendy. Yeah, it's really good to be here. And for the record, I said yo to his question, Voshtimi Bafriyan. And uh, we've uh, been married 14 years, and uh, our family keeps growing. Uh, we didn't show everybody on that picture because we can't. Um, but God keeps bringing us people, not because we sign up for it, but we did sign up for following Christ. And God keeps expanding our definition of family. So that's why we don't have too many family pictures to show you. Um, I found it very inspiring uh, just listening to what everybody was talking about in the way that you have community here and able to share your burdens with each other and prayer requests. The way you, Haiti, um, were able to have that picture of the root being pulled up and, and Jen, how you uh, were struggling with those things that you were out of your control. And, and it's interesting because I, I, I'm very inspired because I know we are one body of Christ and God speaks to us in different ways. And I... I I heard the voice of God through those things. And interestingly, tied to this, and we didn't compare notes, did we? Her, her son is my pastor, so, but I just want to clear the record. We didn't compare notes. But yesterday as I sat down, because I thought, you know what? Here's another church. I have some out of my pocket. I'm going to, to share some stuff that I've prepared. But God said, I want to change things up a little. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't have time. I have to get the kids ready and stuff. And, uh, and yet God really impacted me. And I think it ties in with what the two of you were talking about. It kind of messed me up. But I figured, you know what? God is speaking something here. And I hope that God will work through me, despite of me, and that the, the words that he wants you to hear will be penetrating deeply. For, for now, though, I want you to imagine that you have a blank canvas in front of you. Okay, you can close your eyes, or you can just, just imagine that you have a blank canvas in front of you. Now imagine you could paint the picture of your life, whatever that you desire it to be. So paint a picture of what you desire your life to look like. Take a screenshot of that. All right. I know, I think Harold right here, I don't want to project on him. He's probably thinking golfing. 
You've seen golf tees and a nice rolling hills, and uh, maybe you're thinking of like a at Gem Lake, at, at a at a cabin in a, a nice sunset. Maybe you're a farmer and you're thinking, "Ooh, the harvest is just perfect. The sunset is just right, and I'm on a really nice tractor or combine or something." Uh, maybe it's a picture of your future husband or wife. Maybe it's a picture of your perfect family. Maybe it's a picture of your perfect family moving on to your empty nesters, and who knows what your perfect picture would be. I think for myself right now, if I was honest, my canvas would probably look pretty blank. How many moms are there with you? Like, just just give me some peace and quiet. (laughs) Give me some space, and, and it would look pretty empty, and just void of all mommy mommies and demands and shopping lists and taxi driving. It would just be empty. But just imagine what that is. I think for my son, it would be a, a room full of video games and screens and, and beautiful things like that. Often in life, we choose to hold the, hold the paintbrush and can sort of craft our own realities. Isn't that true? We work harder for what we want to achieve. We spend more in the areas that we desire to build our life upon. Um, we make time for the things that are important for us. And then if we're, if we're honest, then we might say, okay, God, there's a certain area that I don't quite like. Can you Photoshop that? Just to enhance this photo, I need another filter on here so that it looks a little bit better. Um, this part discomforts me. This isn't perfect. Now, Lord, I pray that you would bless that area and, and make that change, make that go away. And um, that is a common response. And as Christ followers, however, we are asked actually to drop the brushes. So imagine that blank canvas now, but the brush isn't in your hands. You don't get to decide what your future is. You don't get to decide the outcomes of your reality. God asks us to drop the paintbrushes. Now to the left... We often desire something more beautiful like that. It's put together. It's beautiful. To the right, not so much. Uh, We might end up like this, and we we think, oh, this is too uncomfortable. Or we craft the left side in our mind, and that's what we we hold to. Uh, But God turns our life upside down, and it actually feels more like on the right. I know for our family, when we had our two youngest children, we went backwards. We first had babies, and then we we got teenagers um, in that order. And so we had our our young one-year-old and our three-year-old, and we trekked off to Korea to visit Harold's family. Life was good. We were following God. We were both in full-time ministry, and we had completed our family. And as we, we were there and we were showing our kids to the, the elderly family that was still around, um, God spoke to us while we were there, Both woke us up both in a dream that same night, the same dream, that God desired to put the lonely in families. And he was asking us to drop our brushes. That messed up with us. And we, we, we were thinking about it and praying about it for a while. But God really tugged on our hearts, and he says, you know, just give me that control. And one by one by one, God opened our home to to multiple people, some that call me still mom to this day, and and I will be mom for the rest of their life. 
But I can tell you that what we thought we were building right then looked like on the left. But if I was honest with you, my life now looks more like on the right. I didn't expect to have children with neurological differences, with trauma so big I can't even grasp it, and yet we're grieving together this tragedy that should have never happened. I didn't expect that we would quit our jobs like every normal people would, both quit our jobs to start a new ministry because God desired a movement across Canada and there wasn't an organization doing it. And he, he called us to, to be part of this movement. I didn't expect to be sharing an office with Harold. It's one thing to be married, and I love the guy, but can you imagine working with him 24 hours? You know, like you, you've got spouses, you know how that's like. It's messy, and you gotta work through those things. I didn't expect a lot of the things that we've come through, and that isn't because it's terrible. In fact, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but it's messy if I'm gonna be vulnerable with you. I'm gonna share a, a quick video of what messy can turn into. Uh, talk about choosing life with God's priorities, godly purposes, and his presence. And we're just going to go through a few passages here together. Oh, we, we saw you already, dude. Thank you. <laughs> He's pretty energetic, isn't he? Okay, let's see. There we go. Choosing life uh, with God's priorities. And I want to share with you a passage, and I'll just tell it to you. You're welcome to follow along if you like. Um, in Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 13 to 16, and you have to understand the context here. Church was happening. And they were talking about really juicy, churchy stuff. They were talking about divorce and remarriage. Um, you know, topics that were actually merited, you need to discuss. And they were picking Jesus' brain and saying, okay, so how do we work through the messy in our church? How do we handle divorce? It might be just like today's thing. Like, and you're having an EMC conference, and, and you're probably like, how do we deal with same-sex marriage? How do we deal with sex education in the schools? Really important stuff. But in the middle of this, there's some rangy children 
in the background. And the kids were um, being pushed by the parents and saying, go, go see Jesus, go sit on Jesus' lap. And they were bringing children to them that, they might, uh, touch, that, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. In other words, today's language, they told them off. Right? They said, get away from here. We're talking church stuff. You should behave. You should be sitting nicely. Um, go away until our meeting is over. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant in translation. He was ticked off and said to them, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Then he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. What does it mean on your canvas to let the children come? Maybe it's natural for you. Maybe you are one of those baby whispers. Do we have any of those that just love kids? You never get tired of them. There's some grandmas here probably that just love them and like to send them back too. But um, they love, you just might have a natural bent to, to love kids. Well, that's one thing. But what if you don't like kids? Let's be honest. You're not, the kids are kind of annoying. And, and we're not just talking the perfect picture kids. We're talking the ones that have like, Stinky diapers, runny nose, the kinds that get dysregulated and are climbing the walls. Um, how do we allow those children to come? God's priorities will inconvenience yours. And he's not saying, if you're a kid person, let them come. He's saying, let all the children come into your midst. And that can get uncomfortable because it's not something we have to pray about. God, are you calling me to care for the vulnerable? God, are you calling me to care for the least of these? God already set his priority. If he's holding that paintbrush in your hand in, in, for your canvas, he already set the priority that he came for the vulnerable. He came for the oppressed. He came for the least of these, the small children. The question is not, Am I called to care? The question is, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to express that priority? He favors children, the oppressed, the marginalized. And that's not our decision to make unless you're holding the paintbrush yourself. So what does that mean to live with God's priorities? We are all called to do something. We don't need to necessarily foster or adopt to, to impact child welfare. Um, in fact, some of us shouldn't. It's not something you take lightly. We don't need to be a social worker to impact child welfare. God said, let the children come. He's called the church, actually, to be the hands and the feet and the heart of Christ um, to the least of these. And we just have to figure out how does God want what is God doing in my life? How does God want to use me to reach the least of these? Secondly, choosing life for godly purposes. And if you look in, in 2 Timothy 1, 6 to 9. I'm just going to turn there. 
2 Timothy 1, 6-9. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in his suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, not because we hold the paintbrush, but because of his own purposes. God called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, what we can do on our own, on our terms, but because of his own purposes. Who did God create you to be? Take an inventory. What are you good at? What's exciting to you? What sparks your interest? It might not be Sunday school. It might not be social worker. It might not be taking in children in your home. But, but what are those things in your life right now that ignite something? Chances are God has put those in your life. Those are the, the, the sparks within you. And it talks about in 2 Timothy that God fans into flame. He wants to put those, those embers that are within you and fan them into flame. Often when we're talking with pastors and we, we connect a lot with churches and I, I do a lot of work with government and uh, trying to bridge that gap, do some translation work and say, you know what, this is who the church is called to be. But when I talk to pastors, sometimes they say, ooh, I don't want another thing. We've got to need another committee and another thing. Uh, we're busy, and we've got a lot of things to, to do. But one thing I like to encourage pastors and leaders when they're looking at child welfare in the church is saying, you don't have to add another thing. You don't have to do another recruitment strategy. In fact, I'm not coming to you to recruit more people. We're not going to give you a kid out that you... Uh, foster kid in order to leave the, the, this meeting. Um, what I am saying is that in your congregation, and I will apply it here, in this congregation, there are embers and sparks within each one of you. It's not about coming and saying, this is what you should do now. You have it within you. You have to identify what is it that ignites you. And part of the joy I love to see is when we can fan into flame the church, uh, those gifts and abilities. You know the song, This Little Light of Mine? Sometimes we like to keep it little. We want to be humble. Us Mennonites, we like to not be too proud. And we'll say, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Meanwhile, how many of you like to make big bonfires? Any bonfire enthusiasts here? Yes. The higher, the bigger, the better. Why is it so great to have a huge fire? Why is it so great to rally around this huge fire instead of a little birthday candle? How many of you go camping and sit around a birthday candle? It's, it's, it brights up, like it, it has some light. There's some merit in it. It's not dead. But there's something about a bonfire that gathers people from all over, and you could sit and watch it forever. It's hypnotizing. You just want to see where those flames go. You want to keep putting fire, firewood into it and just seeing it get bigger and bigger and bigger. 
Well, this is what Timothy, or Paul is saying to Timothy, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. You have it within you. It's not even humility to keep it small. It's, it's actually preventing God from doing what he created you to do. So we need to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. For God didn't give us a spirit of fear and timidity. He gave us a spirit of power and love and self-control. And sometimes when God calls you to do things um, and to step out in faith, there is a lot of fear. And I don't know if you can have faith without fear if you're really living out your faith. The more faith you have to be stepping out into, often the more fearful the things and the reasons you have to be fearful. And yet this is the, the, what I, I deal with one of our children dealing with anxiety. And, and one of the things I say, you can do brave. Scared is how you feel, but brave is what you do, and that is faith. Scared is how you will feel when God calls you to do something that looks way messy, that looks way out of your comfort zone, but brave is what you do, and we as a people are not called to be a people that are timid, but a people, oh yes, but a people that are brave and courageous and step out. And then God can really use us. And I just want to show you, sometimes people want to do, when we're talking about child welfare, um, some people say, like, I would love to care, I like children, but with the privacy acts and with the way things are run in our system, how do I even know? How do I even know how to fan into flame the, the gifts and abilities I have? How can I impact our community in ways that are very meaningful? And that's sort of what um, Forever Families is excited about, walking alongside churches and fanning into flame some pretty incredible opportunities. And some of that is happening right here in Manitoba. We're piloting Care Portal right now. And that's connecting churches to local children and families in crisis. So in our partnership, as we are working with um, child and family services, as we're talking with government, and as we're seeing what the landscape is and with child welfare and building trust there, um, we have come to a point where they're saying, we have a lot of requests, and actually we want to work with the churches. And uh, so, so what we've been partnering with is Care Portal in the States, and we're Canadianizing it for here. So actually Manitoba's piloting it for Canada, which is really exciting. Um, and so essentially, a child welfare worker can put in a request, a real-time request. One example, even last week, we need a bassinet for this mom to keep baby in her arms so we don't have to apprehend her. We need a bed for this family. They're living on the floor. It would be considered neglect. Is there anything we can do? There are children, these are all real examples, there are children aging out of care this next week. They're going off on their own into these apartments with no support system around there. Would there be availability to help them start with a, a, a welcome basket of basic essentials that they need? So anyway, the social worker can enter in those requests and it goes onto a care portal, sort of a secure Kijiji for churches, 
Um, and then the local churches that we work with and we help train and equip and fan into flame their gifts and abilities, they can respond to that in real time and directly help the family down their street in their church community. And, and the province is so excited about it. They've had me speak at different places. And actually, your social services in this area called Central CFS, they've actually approached me at numerous times, and we're in conversation right now. They said, what you're doing in Winnipeg, can we do in this area too? So this isn't just something that's happening in the, in the city or in other parts of the country, which we're also working in. It's actually, um, there's interest for, from CFS to work with churches. They're saying about the churches in central um, Manitoba, saying we know there's a lot of churches. We know that there's strong, rich communities here. Not just, not rich as in financial, but relationally rich communities here. And this is what our families, this is what our children need. How do we connect into that so that there would be children? Essentially, they're saying, how do we let the children <laughs> come to Jesus, right? How do they let the, the families get into the church community in an effective way? And so we have a privilege of walking through it, and we're hoping to launch it now in November. And um, But there's already, I, I've been speaking to pastors in Morden and Winkler, and we met with social services all together just uh, two weeks ago. And there's huge excitement. There's an, a desire for the church to get involved. The other aspect that we're working on is Care Academy, and that's uh, uh, equipping the local church to effectively care. One of the things we often see is people desire to care, but they're just not sure how. Like, how do we deal with the trauma? How do we deal with these situations that we're unfamiliar with? Give us the tools. And so what the Care Academy does is put a bunch of Christian professionals together and are able to do some training and workshops and help us understand trauma, help us understand the brain. So we're working at the heart, the head, and the hands and equipping the heart for service so that our motivation is right and pure. But we're working also with the, the brain heralds um, interests uh, in particular in the psychology and the neuropsychology of the brain. What happens with a child with trauma? What happens with a, a mom that has addictions? What happens and how do we help work with these people? And, uh, and then the hands, how do we practically help? Sometimes helping hurt, uh, can hurt, and we can do more harm than good, but how do we help in effective ways? And, and we look at the area of trauma or, and um, poverty. Sorry, it really wants to be quiet. Can you just, I'm almost done. I said it early. Um, how do we uh, work with, um, also understanding our indigenous roots so um, and our, our church history with the indigenous people. And that's often a big elephant in the sanctuary um, because we don't know what to do with it. 90% of our children in care come from indigenous backgrounds and we're sitting right now on the territory one of the Anishinaabe. And, and, and what do we do with that? How do we handle and how do we care for our brothers and sisters of First Nations? And so we, we work through that in a redemptive way, not beating the church over the head, but just saying, you know, we have to understand our history. We have to understand how are we treaty people and how do we walk well with our brothers and sisters of the First Nations, Métis. And, um, and so, so we, we try to equip um, churches and give them practical uh, ways to, to get involved. 
And lastly, uh, choosing life in God's presence. Um, often when we think about going into God's presence, we might have more of a kumbaya feel, like, oh, you know, and we, we come quiet with God, we have our coffee, our devo, we have our Bible, we have our walk, whatever that ritual is to have, be present with God. And I encourage that. I, I, I try to practice that as well. We need those times to set aside and look into God's presence and come to church on Sunday morning and and find God's presence among his people, that's all great. But I want to share with you some passages that might be unassuming uh, places that we can look for God's presence. And the first one that I'd like to bring to your attention is Mark 9. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. Taking in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. How many of us want more of the presence of God? A few of us, yeah. How many of us really desire to have more of God's working in our life? More of God crafting what looks kind of messy, but being able to turn it upside down and make something beautiful. Because we know that if you are in God's hands, he is creating a masterpiece. You don't have to be worried about what that paintbrush is doing on your canvas right now. You don't have to be worried about the outcomes that God is calling you into. That's in God's hands. He says, fear not. I give you a spirit of power and might and a sound mind. But as he's turning you upside down, he is creating a masterpiece. But sometimes in the most unassuming ways. He says, you want more of God's presence? Welcome the children. Let the children come to me. You want more of God's presence in your church? Let me turn your church upside down. Let me give you FASD like you've never seen it before. Let me give you trauma. Let me give you addictions. Let me give you a family that you don't even know how to handle in your, your own midst. But in that, you will find my presence. Because when you welcome these in the name of Jesus, not in the name of philanthropy or good works, but if you, if you welcome in my name, you're not only welcoming that person, you are welcoming the very presence of God. That is a powerful, powerful thing because often we think of those over 10,000 children in care here in our province alone. We think, how could we ever, ever impact this huge number of children and in that we only have two of them in our home but there's over 10,000 how could we make an impact but if you welcome them in the name of Jesus you're not only welcoming them but you you welcome Christ and often we think okay so I can impact one life two life max but do you know who else is impacted yourself because when you become, be part of the presence of God, God changes you. Actually, the church doesn't need to just do philanthropy and think about outside the box and, and rescuing people. We ourselves as the church need to be rescued. 
we ourselves need to be rescued from ourselves and be put into positions where we have to give up that paintbrush. We have to give up our rendering of our drawing. We have to give up the notion that we have the rights to just call on God just for photoshopping. And we need to hand that over into the presence of God. And when we welcome the most uncomfortable, we, when we welcome the most oppressed, we are welcoming God's power to be at work within us. And it's not always comfortable, but God didn't promise that, did he? And so the sec and also in Isaiah 58, I love the, the passage in Isaiah. Because often we think of uh, worship is more worship, more or God's presence is more worship, more church, more prayer and fasting. But Isaiah 58 says, You pray and fast as if you did righteousness, and seek me daily and delight to know my ways. Yet this is my heart. Bringing homeless into your home, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, freeing the oppressed. Then you will call, and I will answer you. And you'll cry, of course you will cry when you do these things. And I'll say, here I am. In Mark, um, no, in Matthew 25, 35 to 40. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when, and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Right now in this neighborhood and beyond, there are children and families in crisis. And God has called the church, not government, not nonprofits, not even forever families, we're only here to serve the church. But God has called the church, each and every church, each and every member of the body, to care. That's not an agenda that we just put on our mission statement and we're projecting onto you. This is an agenda of God's heart. God's heart is for the oppressed. God's heart is for the vulnerable. And he set that agenda and he has built up the church to be a church of inclusivity, a church of healing and redemption. And a church where we can start to see the power of God at work within us. A church that starts with embers and God puts that within you and he deposits its gifts and abilities. You might not be a... You might not be a foster parent, but you might be a really good plumber that can help a single parent that is struggling. You might not be a prayer warrior, but you might be a great mentor to a struggling young dad. There are things in 
child welfare that is, affects each one of us. Each one of us has a piece in that child welfare puzzle. There's no one off the hook because God calls his people to care. I guess the question would be, how is God inviting you to align to his priorities? And how is God asking you to use the gifts he's given you for his purposes? And how is God asking you to welcome children in his name? Or welcome the oppressed, welcome the vulnerable in his name and show you more of his presence? We're going to pray now. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are a loving God. I thank you, God, that we don't have to paint the picture of our life. I thank you, God, that we don't have to have control of what things look like. Forgive us, God, when we hold too closely onto that paintbrush and we think we need to have the outcome and we just want you as an accessory. Forgive us, God. And I pray, God, that we would no longer play tug-of-war with your hand at that paintbrush, but, Lord, that we would freely give it to you, not without trepidation, but, God, with greater faith. Lord, I pray that you would fan into flame the flickers and the flames that you already have set here, that this church would continue to, to blaze brightly and not only be content to blaze brightly like it is, but, Lord, to become bigger and bigger and bigger for your kingdom, that more and more people would be drawn to that flame, that would, would want to be in its presence, Father. I thank you, God, that right now you have an open door right here with Central CFS, that they're desiring the church to get involved. They recognize the role of the church. And I pray, God, that you would connect the dots, whatever that looks like, and I pray, Lord, that you would encourage your people to get involved. I pray for the children and families that are struggling, those that are really struggling at home and still have the children but are at risk of losing them into the system. I pray, God, for restoration. I pray for families and people and grandmas and grandpas to wrap around these families and to support them. I pray for the foster families. I pray, God, that there would be more foster families because the emergency shelters are bursting right now. And you set the lonely in families. So, Lord, you know the people that you've put that flicker in their hearts. So I pray, God, that you would fan into flame those that need to welcome those children into their home. And, Lord, I just pray for all the, the other ways that we could get involved that you would make a way where well, it seems to be no way. And I pray, God, that we would, in that process, be able to experience more of you. We need more of you. Help us not to be complacent. Help us not to be content. Holding our own brushes, Father. But we thank you, Lord, that you know the plans and the purposes you have for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us, even though it might be painful, to plans to give us a bright hope and a future. We thank you, Jesus, that you can be trusted. Amen. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gifts of God, which is in through you the laying of on of my hands, 
For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Amen. Go in peace.